But first today to Cambodia, where Cambodians have an ancient proverb that says one mountain cannot have two tigers, meaning only one ruler and no sharing of power. In other words, the opposite of democracy, which is very much the system on offer in this weekend's so-called election. Prime Minister Hun Sen, who's been in power now for a staggering 38 years, has done everything in his power to cement an ongoing autocracy. He's stamped out any political opposition ruthlessly, and he's even engineered a brazen family succession plan. The result of tomorrow's election seems a foregone conclusion, in other words. So what of the country's future? Will it move further from the West and into China's orbit as their economic integration develops? Gordon Conicky will offer us more context. He lives in Melbourne now, but he was a long-time resident of Cambodia where he worked for the World Bank, among others. His new work, A Tiger Rules the Mountain, covers Cambodia's pursuit of democracy. Welcome, Gordon. Good morning. Uh, tell us what you, what you personally think uh, might happen at these polls compared with the last election in 2018 and those previous to that. I mean, any opposition to speak of? No, no, there's not. Um, and Cambodians know that. They know what the result will be and, and they've kind of, um, you know, reconciled themselves to that as well. This election, it's going to be the same as the 2018 election where the CPP, so Hun Sen's party, won every seat in parliament. And at the last election they did that because they dissolved uh, the opposition party just about eight months before the election. And before this election, the ruling National um, Election Committee excluded the biggest opposition party because it couldn't provide its original certificate of registration, which the party said had been lost when the police raided its offices. So, yes, the Cambodians know what the result will be and it's only going to be one winner. Um, in the book, you introduce us to two key opposition figures from the now-dissolved Cambodian National Rescue Party, Sam Rainsy and Kem Soka. Now, maybe before we get back to some of the amazing things that are being introduced uh, in this, uh, this election, maybe you could talk about that time in 2017 when the party was finally crushed because until then, opposition parties had been tolerated. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, and the, the story really starts just before the 2013 national election when Sam Rainsy and Kem Sokka, who had previously led two opposition parties united, they came together because they realised that to defeat Hun Sen, they needed a united opposition. And Sam Rainsy returned from exile in France just before the 2013 national election. And it set off a, a chain reaction of, of protests and rallies for the opposition throughout the country. And on that 2013 election day, millions of Cambodians went to the ballot box hoping that change would happen. Now, change didn't happen, but the opposition party did do very, very well. Um, it nearly uh, got um, over 40% of the seats in the, the National Assembly. And from there, it was building on that momentum. And that took it all the way up to the 2017 elections where it had huge gains against the, the ruling Hun Sen Cambodian People's Party. And at those elections, the CPP lost control of, of many councils throughout Cambodia. And it, it realised that it was on the precipice. It was on the precipice of losing the 2018 national election. And it realised that it would have to take extreme measure to stop that happening. Now, those extreme measures uh, meant Sam Rainsy being 
um, threatened with arrest and he went back into exile. Kem Sokahu took over leadership of the opposition party, was arrested at midnight, pulled from his home. And then just uh, a month after that, the opposition party were completely dissolved by the Supreme Court and, and uh, 118 of their leaders banned from politics for five years. Many others put in jail and many uh, fled Cambodia for their life, crossing into Thailand and other countries. Yes, yeah, so it's it's completely ruthless. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, it's it's amazing to compare and contrast what's happening in Thailand at the moment, and we'll we'll get to that in a moment. So it, obviously, the, you know, some of these Southeast Asian countries, they're just not uh, they're not they're not even going to toy with democracy, are they? Or they're just going to play with elections? Is that how you see it? Yeah, and I think um, you know, Hun Sen, the, the Prime Minister there. He had previously said that he was willing to eliminate 100 to 200 um, opposition leaders if it meant keeping control of the country. So you're right about the ruthlessness. He certainly sees his um, his role, um, maybe his duty, to maintain what he sees as peace and stability mm. within and within Cambodia at any cost, um, and that means. You know, vanquishing the opposition, jailing people, um, certainly reducing freedom of speech, dismantling the media, restricting trade unions. He he will do anything to maintain control of his table. Uh, and I guess we have to remember that it was only, you know, 30 odd years ago that Cambodia was still um, in the middle of a civil war. And democracy is a relatively new concept. You know, it was 1993 when the UN administered elections in Cambodia, and that was the first time for many people that they were ever voting. Um, <clears throat> and there's a lot of, of of work, I guess, to be done in terms of Cambodian people understanding and valuing the principles of, of human rights, of democracy, of freedom of speech, concepts that are, are generally Western and coming from the Western world and are not present in the countries, as you said, that they see around them or that they, you know, naturally uh, look to. Mm. Look, it, it, what about the handover to his son, Hun Sen's son, Man, is it Manet? Manet, um, Manet yes. Manet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> he's been already groomed. So he's really, in a way, Hun Sen's making himself one of the ancient Cambodian kings. He's going to take up a seat in the parliament, Manet, he's a soldier, um, mm. and that power will eventually pass to him. And uh, that's just accepted, is it? Yes. Um, so Hun Manet is the eldest son, and he's currently the commander of the, the armed forces. An interesting man, he graduated West Point, um, also has a Master uh, of Economics from New York University and a PhD in Economics from Bristol University in England. Well educated, um, but certainly been groomed and primed to be the Prime Minister after his father. The ruling party had a, a vote um, to endorse this. Um, and this was certainly an arranged procession. Um, it wasn't as if there were open campaigning amongst uh, many candidates. The question really is, when will this transition take place? Hun Sen has actually talked just in the last few days about it uh, happening quite soon after the election. And I think many Cambodians, that's the question on their lips. Is this Hun Sen's last election? But what many people recognise and accept is that even if he steps aside for his son to take over, he's still going to be the power behind the throne. He's still going to be the ultimate decision maker. And nobody's going to move against his son as long as Hun Sen is around. Very interesting. Look, final question. 
Hun Sen is very close to Beijing. Um, China's overtaken the US as the biggest aid donor and investor and most importantly trade partner. Would you say this uh, has furthered Sen's anti-democratic drive? Like, you know, have the West's sanctions just served to reinforce this? Yeah, it's interesting. I was speaking to one of the ruling CPP members last year and he said, you know, if you criticise us, if you cut ties with us, if you, you know, punish us economically, then of course we're going to look to China. Who else are we going to go to? So there's definitely that argument. However, I think uh, no matter what the West were going to do, then the, the role of China has just been growing and growing. And certainly because of their support, Hun Sen has felt powerful enough protected enough to dismantle the opposition, to suppress free speech and human rights because he knows he's got the support of China. So what the West can do is is kind of small in comparison to the benefits he's getting from the trade and investment in China. Interestingly though, it's not to China that Hun Sen is, is looking in terms of a model and it's not to America or Britain or, or the West either. It's to Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the attractive model. You know, economically, it's obviously very prosperous, uh, third highest national income per capita um, in the world. Um, it's a stable, well-run, organised, governed uh, country. And you can understand when you look at maybe what's happened in terms of governance in you know, America or Britain, which are looked upon as, as you know, examples of democracy, over the last few years that Singapore might be an attractive option compared to those two. Oh, that's, I hadn't heard that before. Gordon, thank you very much indeed for those insights. Thank you very much. Uh, who's your publisher, by the way, for A Tiger Rules a Mountain? Ah, uh, yes, yeah, so that's Monash University Publishing. Uh, the books are available in, in bookshops throughout Australia and <laughs> online and internationally as well. Okay, thanks very much indeed. Gordon Conicky, C-O-N-O-C-H-I-E. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.